Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. All right. Got a couple more coming in. Well, is everybody properly caffeinated now? I'm working on it. I'm, I think I'm there. Well, we're in Psalms chapter 19. Um, you guys want to turn there? We'll go ahead and pray and then get into it. Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity just to worship you this morning and now to delve into your word. We pray that your word would be a light to our feet uh, and illumination to our hearts, that we would see see you as we uh, look at this psalm. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Psalms chapter 19 is where we're at. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually called this the uh, greatest uh, poem in the Psalms. So I'm not going to do that justice. (laughs) But having said that, there are two parts to the Psalm. The first part is about general revelation. It's about creation. um, And the second half is about special revelation or or specific uh, revelation in Scripture. Um, and so you'll see those two ideas going on. In the first half, uh, you have God as Elohim, the, the very generalized name. And in the second half, you have Jehovah, the covenant name of God. And so there's a very clear distinction between the two. And some have said that because of that distinction, it was written, might have been written by two different people, and one's really old and one's newer, and David just took some other psalm. I... I would venture to say probably not because the structure really lends itself to being unified. There is a poetic structure of a single uh, long, uh, of eight eight short lines and then six longer double lines. And so it's very specific and then it repeats. Um, So the same structure. Um, Having said all that, let's venture into it. And start. Verse 1 says, The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the skies, or their, their expanse, is declaring the work of his hands. Literally, God's creation is meant to reveal himself. Romans says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen from the creation of the world and in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. Literally, there's no reason not to look at what's around you and think something created this. It's clear. Um, on the other side, David uh, is pointing out that God created it for a purpose. In, in Genesis, it says he created the sun and the moon and stars for seasons, for uh, the, the days, um, for years to govern the day and the night. And and ultimately, that picture of declaring the glory of God has something more to do with, with declaring Messiah himself. We see in Matthew um, chapter 2, who comes to the birth? It's astronomers. These astrologers that have been looking at the heavens and they say, we saw a star. And somehow that star declared to us that there is a king coming and it's, it's being born. Now, this history 
there, there is some evidence that the whole narrative of what we call the Zodiac is actually a narrative of creation. Uh, Josephus in the first century uh, tied astronomy to Seth. And it says, he says that um, the, where am I at? He says that the revelation of the two coming judgments, that of water and fire, are declared in the heavens. Now, all that understanding is lost to, to time. We don't, we don't really see that today. It's not in scripture. It's just hearsay at this point. Um, but we know through Isaiah and, and Psalms that God did name the stars. He gave them a name. It says in Psalms 143 and in Isaiah 40, uh, 26, Job gives specific names to these stars, right? We have Ash, uh, the great bear, uh, Octorus. We have the Cubs, uh, Cecil or Orion. We have uh, the Pleiades. We have Draco, the dragon. Um, we have the Meseroth mentioned, all 12 signs mentioned in Job. Why are they there? They're there because there's something else going on that's been lost. It is a de declaration that God intended to reveal to people, okay? But we've lost that. The problem is that, and, and actually Zodiac comes back to uh, Zodiacus, which is a Hebrew word meaning the way. Interesting that that ties back. The problem is in Deuteronomy 4, he says, Beware lest you lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and the host of heaven and are drawn away to worship and serve them. And that's where people went. They started drawing away from the original intent of what God created things to reveal himself, right? And they drew away and they began to worship those things and say, I'm going to live my life after what I think it means. And they created a whole new religion out of God's creation and worshipped the creation rather than the creator. Uh, Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord, don't learn the ways of the nations. Don't be terrified by the signs of the heaven, although the nations are terrified by them, for the customs of the people are delusion. It became a delusion for them. And if you go out and you read the the newspaper, there's all kinds of stupidity in it. It says, oh, your day is going to be wonderful or your day is going to be horrible because the signs are this way. That's delusion. And it's very clear that scripture says that. And we need to be very careful that we aren't deluded with the rest of the world. That is a major danger. We do need to celebrate the creation because God made it to celebrate, to look up into the heavens, see his glory and celebrate it. But when we look at the heavens and we look at something other than, look for something other than God, we find that we've missed the point. And it's very important that you don't miss the point. He has revealed himself in the heavens. The heavens literally radiate information so vast that it goes beyond our understanding. And we, we can't even perceive the light that's there. And the reality is in the same way. We don't perceive all of God, just like the heavens, right? It, he has so much to reveal of himself. And we're looking to 
see what he wants to, to reveal to us of himself as we, we seek him in his word and, and uh, as we seek him through Messiah. There are two actual readings of, of, of uh, verse 3. Uh, verse 2 says, day to day, it pours forth speech. Night after night, it reveals knowledge. It literally gives the stability. It gives consistency to, to our lives, right? We have a, every day, it's the same. We have night, we have morning. We have the stars, we have the moon, we have the sun, right? But here it says that there is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. There are actually two readings. One says there's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. That is literally the proclamation that's there is, is um, it touches and permeates everything, but, but it doesn't leave anything untouched. Literally, their speech, their language, uh, there's no speech and no language where it's not heard. So it, it touches every aspect of creation. The other reading is there's no speech, no words, no voice. It's literally not heard. It's a pictorial thing. And so you get this, this narrative in the skies of the pictures. We always wonder where those pictures come from. It's passed down through generations. And there's, there's all kinds of storyline. There's the water coming to, to life. There's the judgment of, of, of God. You know, when you look at those pictures, there's way more going on. And I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> but verse 4 says their voice, so there's still a voice, their voice has gone out through all the earth their utterance to the ends of the world, and in them he's placed a tent for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chambers. It rejoices as a strong man. It runs its course. It raises from one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other end, uh, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. This literally is, is the image of God, right? He's displaying his sovereign nature. I provide for all of my creation. I've provided heat. I've provided light. And, and, and I, he, it's, a, it's a, a, a illustration of the sovereignty of God. He cares for all of us, all of his creation. At the same time, he warms it. But also, there's nothing hidden from that heat. There's nothing that will be hidden from the judgments of God. Malachi actually takes this idea uh, in chapter 4 and says, For you who fear my name, the sun, S-U-N, not S-O-N, interesting, of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. He goes on to say, Remember my law. And says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophets before the coming and great and terrible day of the Lord. He'll restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So this is literally speaking about Messiah. When, when um, uh, Matthew, uh, and, and that ties us back to this Seth idea, that Seth and tied all that stuff in Josephus, that there was some judgment being proclaimed in the heavens. Once again, it's lost to antiquity. Uh, but Matthew says he'll, Send forth his angels with great sound of trumpet. They'll gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens 
to the other. Same imagery. Therefore, every time you look up to the sun, it literally should remind you of the return of Christ. It should declare to you that Christ came and he finished the work and he's coming again. And he's got another work that he's going to finish in judgment and in, in, in perfecting and bringing us to his kingdom. So every time from now on, when you look up to the heavens, when you look up to the sun, remember God is in control. He's got something to declare to you. And it speaks of M Messiah. Interesting, he moves back into this. As the sun reveals God in nature, the, in the physical world, the law literally re reveals God in regards to the moral or spiritual world, right? Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. Right? We remember um, at this point there's a change, right? We had this real general idea of the possibilities of what, what the heavens might be declaring. Now we have specifics because the word of God is specific. It tells us prophecies. It tells us Messiah is coming. And so it restores our soul. What was the problem in Genesis when we fell? When we lost the vision, our souls were lost. Here, the word of God is here to reveal that you need brought back to the king that you need to have your store, your soul restored. Um, the heavens literally declare how small we are. It gives us this vision. When you look at the skies, you're like, man, I am tiny in comparison. The law does something similar. It reveals to you how off you are. It lets you know, you know, I'm not right. I have problems. I'm not perfect. But creator is restoring our hearts and that's his his goal with messiah hebrews says the word of god is living and active it's sharper than a two-edged sword it pierces to the division of our soul and our spirit our joints and marrow it's able to uh, judge the thoughts and intents of our heart like a surgeon it literally operates in our life as we allow the word of God to permeate our life. It, it, it cuts into the, the rottenness of our lives. It cuts away the junk and it brings us into truth and, and brings us to being imagers of God. First Peter one twenty three says, you've been born again, not of seeds, which are perishable and imper uh, but imperishable, which is perishable, You've been born, again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. How do we get born again? It's through the word of God made flesh. It's confessing that he is king in our lives and asking for forgiveness to radiate our lives, to change us into him, right? Um, the testimony here, he says... Uh, he's witnesses truth, attests uh, the declarations of God, his covenants. Um, and, and we can be sure of his testimonies. We have all this history. The whole point of, of the word is that he's, he's provided 
all this surety and prophecy fulfilled over and over and over. And we can trust ourselves to him. He says, the testimonies of the Lord are sure. And as we entrust ourselves to them, it makes us wise. It brings us to wisdom. Uh, Verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure. It enlightens our eyes. These are literally instructions giving us purpose, teaching us what to do, giving us direction, commands. Um, The idea of of both of these, that God's authority um, is there, but it produces joy and enlightenment as as we come into abiding in the word and the commandments of the Lord it, it reveals to us that, that they're right and and we're not right what's the law the point of the law isn't just a bunch of rules it's to reveal the righteousness of God the holiness of God and and ultimately it's to be proverbs says a lamp uh, to our, our feet, a light to our path. Um, and, and once again, you see this visual component. What's the idea? Why do we need creation? To visually strive, or strive, but, but look at things and say, there's something more, right? Why is the word there? To give us a vision of something more. It's Messiah that we're seeing, Right? He says, um, here's the enlightenment of your eyes, uh, the word made flesh and living among us. It enlightens us to who God is. That is Messiah. Jesus himself gave us that vision of who he is. And ultimately, we're to be that light to the world now. It says, you are to walk as children of light in Ephesians. That's, that's our purpose to follow the example of Christ and then to live out what he's shown us, right? Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean. It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Um, It's interesting. We have have very different concepts of fear. There is a right fear of the Lord and a wrong fear of the Lord. Isaiah says, talks about the wrong fear. He says, the people draw near to me with their words. They honor me with their lips, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. That's what it is. It's just rule keeping. Men just taught you to keep rules and you're afraid because, you know, God's in control and he's this great big guy with judgment and it's going to kill us all if we don't obey. That's that's a wrong vision. That's not the vision that he wants. The right vision we see in Psalms and Proverbs. He says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It's It, it starts producing something on it, in us. It produces wisdom. It says it produces knowledge. The, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where we start. It prolongs our life. It it provides confidence in, in Psalms 14. It turns us from evil in, in Proverbs 16. It makes our rest satisfying in Proverbs 19. It brings us to a place where we obey his commandments not to fear, 
haven't thought about that? That when we entrust ourselves to the Lord and, and we respect the Lord as God, we don't have anything else to fear, <laughs> right? He says in um, Timothy, it literally rejects the spirit of fear so that we're filled with the spirit of power and love and a sound mind, right? That's where we're supposed to be. We don't have to live in fear. Ultimately, Romans says it brings us to a place where we cry out, Abba, or Daddy, to the Lord, right? The love uh, of God brings us into this right relationship because John says love casts out all fear. There's a point where this wrong fear of, of looking at God as this tyrant trying to judge everything and destroy everything and you're, you're afraid of him because you're scared turns into respecting a father that loves you. He wants you to be what he's made you to be. He cares about you. And I'm afraid to disappoint my father. My fear is respect to my father, but it's also, I don't want to make him feel, I don't want him to be disappointed. Because I love him. My fear flows out of love. Whereas in the other side, my fear just flows out of just ignorance of who he is. Ultimately, there is a right judgment. And he is righteous. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's perfect. It brings us to, to purity in love. But the judgments of the Lord are true. And they're righteous. His judgments are literally the declarations that he's made. He has declared us forgiven. He's declared an opportunity for grace and mercy. And that's his judgment. He's offered salvation. Verse 10 says, there are, They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And we're talking about the judgments of the Lord. Uh, moreover, by them is thy servant warned in keeping them. There's great rewards. Matthew 6 says, We're to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's literally both protections and rewards in keeping the word of God, keeping to the reward of God, um, the word of God. Not just keeping it, but, but in the process of abiding in the spirit, in the word of God. We, we're protected um, with, with the way we think about things. It brings us to right judgments. Um, John 8 says, uh, Jesus said to the Jews, uh, who had believed in him. If you abide in my words, you're my, dis my disciples indeed. Uh, you'll know the truth and it will set you free. It's about abiding in it. 
we're, we're going we're gonna to just continue in entrusting ourselves to his word and, and continue in, in behaving and in his judgments, following what he's led us in. Timothy says all scripture is uh, God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. What's the point? Do you feel incomplete in your life? That's the, the point of scripture. It brings you to what you were meant to be, to a complete person, a finished work of God. But not only that, complete and equipped for good works. You're not just here to be, you're here to do. You're to be equipped to do the will of God. What's the will of God? To reveal himself to the world. It started from the very first thing. He brought light into the world. He's just revealing himself over and over and over through scripture and through us. We are to go into the world and reveal Jesus in our lives and in his word, right? Go out, make disciples, followers of Jesus. Matthew 5, 16 says, men will see your good works and give glory to the Father. Now, the problem is not everybody has good works. Verse 12 says, who can discern his arrows? Errors, acquit me me of my hidden faults. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sin. Let them not rule over me, that I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked or desperately sick. Who can understand it? And David realizes, I have a problem. I understand the basics, but I'm not right. You know, I'm doing stupid things. I'm staying home when everybody else is going out to war and lusting after the neighbors. (laughs) Just behaving unrighteously, right? He says... I'm, I've got a problem, and I need forgiveness. And we all need to come to that place that we have a problem, and we need forgiveness. Romans, Paul says the same thing, a wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this body of death? We need to seek the mercy of the Lord. There's only one deliverance. It's Jesus. And he taught us to pray the same thing. He said, pray. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the the evil. Here David talks about two different problems that he has. One is unintentional. I just do stupid things and I don't think about it. I, I don't mean to do what I'm doing. I'm just, 
a sinner. <laughs> I'm just doing them. And I realized later, oh, that, that was not right. That was a sin. <laughs> I need to adjust that. The other side, he says, I have presumptuous sin where I have willingly rebelled against God. I knew what I was doing and I should have done something different and I need to be guarded against doing that. Not just, I don't need to do it. I need to guard my heart from being prideful and saying, I, I'll just do whatever I want because, you know, I'm, I have the right to do whatever I want. David says, guard me. Keep me from presumptuous sin and don't let it rule over me. The means of that keeping is the washing of the word and the filling of the spirit. If you aren't filled with the spirit, you will not be kept from presumptuous sin. It guards us. If you aren't in the word, your mind isn't being renewed. And you think incorrectly. It's real easy to be filled with pride and to think the wrong way. We need guarded and we need to pray just like Jesus said. Pray that he guard us. Romans 3.20 says, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He goes on in 26 to say that he might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The means to that is faith in Jesus. It's not about doing these rules, keeping, you know, the the tyrant happy. It's about trusting him that he loves you. And he cares for you. And he wants the best for you. So you don't want to disappoint him. Because he he's a good Father that loves you. Corinthians says, Corinthians 5 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. We make our aim to please Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what's due for what He's done in the body, whether it's good or evil. We're all going to stand before Him. And we're all going to be accountable to him. You know, when I've done something stupid when I was younger, I went to my dad and he knew it. I felt bad. <laughs> I felt guilty and I felt insecure <laughs> because rightly he's going to call me on that. On the other side, when I'd done something good and he's proud of me, I was happy to be in his presence. And that's what he wants for you. He wants to be proud of you. As his child. So when you come to him, he says, you are well 
done, my good and faithful servant. You did what I called you to do. And I'm excited about that. He goes on in verse 14. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in the sight of the Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David closes here with this prayer. Kind of recaps the whole of the psalm saying, you know, the heavens speak of you. Your word speaks of you. Let me speak of your glory too. Let my words be a proclamation of who you are. And beyond that, let what's inside of me, my thoughts, my processes, my what I think about, be in consistency, in tune with your heart. That should be your prayer. Let my mouth speak right and let my thoughts be right and acceptable in your sight. Matthew 12 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of the good treasures, bring forth good. The evil person, out of the evil treasures, brings forth evil. But I tell you that one day, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Our words are powerful. David wants his words to be acceptable. That should be our desire too. That every word is guarded from a right heart. John read Romans 10, 10, 10. With our hearts, man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Let the words of my mouth be the result of salvation. May they be acceptable in your sight. What's coming out of you reveals what's inside of you. And that's a question you need to ask yourself. What is in me? Is there evil coming out? Is there evil in you? Or is it good coming out? Because the Spirit of God is in you. Do your insides need change today? You need to ask yourself you need to exercise the faith to say, I believe, I trust you. Change me. That's our prayer. Father, we pray that today you would change all of our hearts. That our meditation, that what we think about and what we say comes out of us is pleasing in your sight acceptable to you we thank you that, that 
your spirit has given us a means to be changed. That the payment for all the stupidity, all the evil, all the wrong that we've done has been paid by your death. And we are forgiven. We can come to you as a good father, not an angry tyrant. A gracious and forgiving, loving God that we want to love too. Give us a heart of love so that we will be known by those around us. As you said, they will know you by your love. We want to be known by our love. Father, give us that love. Fill us in Jesus' name. Amen.